0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. In
1: 2020, much of our life and work is on the go. In normal times, we work from coffee shops, bistros, and airports, and we are constantly on the move. And while we've all used messaging applications like email, Slack, and other forms of technology to stay informed, none of them really keep us connected the way we need to be. Enter StaffBase's Director of Marketing, Jason Eder, and President and Co-Founder, Frank Wolf, the men who are on a mission to help the forgotten employee. On today's episode of Marketing Trends, Jason and Frank stress the importance of company culture in today's digital age. They also talk about the value of simplistic and meaningful messaging and why events are the best way to get to and understand your customers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host,
2: Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and I am joined. We got a two guest interview coming today. This is going to be fun. Frank, how's it going? Yeah, thanks.
3: Great. I'm sitting here in Germany, so it's already afternoon for me. Looking forward to talk.
2: I know we got. Uh, it's the early morning for me, afternoon for you, and uh,
4: and Jason. Are you somewhere in the middle? Yeah, right in the middle. We're we're approaching lunchtime. So this is good. We we blew right through snack time, but we're approaching lunch. Well,
2: I think we're all hungry for more marketing knowledge. That's for sure, <laughs> uh, and also breakfast for those of us on the west coast. So we're going to get into all the really cool stuff that you all are building at Staff Base. Um, this is this is kind of uh, going to be an interesting episode because we kind of have two different pieces of this from from the founder and and, and uh, perspective and also a director perspective. So I, we thought that that would be a fun way for the listeners to be able to uh, to hear two sides of, of the same coin here. Um, so before we get into, you know, all of the stuff that you're doing at base and some of the cool marketing things that you're working on, Frank, how did you get into marketing in the first place?
3: Well, I actually, I, I'm not uh, from the marketing side in the first place. So I started off as a as a consultant uh, initially for a couple of years with Accenture, and then uh, moved on to another position at uh, Deutsche Telekom, which is a part of T-Mobile. And based on that, I I just decided to start my own company. And before I was more in the role of a of an expert or consultant about uh, digital workplaces and employee communications, and well, as a as a founder initially you do a lot of roles right initially i was doing customer success sales and marketing for stuffbase um in, in the same role and over time i was able to hand off um first customer success uh to to our own department and the whole sales to our own department and i i, I kept on with uh, marketing because that's what's closest to what i like what i love um and uh I personally uh, try to keep up with with the challenges of initially six people. Now we are about 300 employees, um, and pretty much also a global uh, customer base. Um, and you can imagine marketing also changes a lot uh, during that time.
2: Yeah. And I love, and this is one of the reasons I was excited to have you both on the show, is kind of coming into this with you know, a co-founder of the company, being there from the beginning and not having a traditional marketing background. And then
4: somebody like Jason, Jason, how'd you get started in marketing? I spent a good part of my life first in the theater uh, as a playwright and a director. And then um, uh, later on, I got my first master's at LaSalle University in information technology leadership. So after theater, I I got into technology and really loved working with people and, and, and doing project management work. Um, And then, uh, recently, I started an online uh, master's degree at Rutgers Business School for digital marketing. It's a great program. Um, And I think some of the best marketing lessons I've ever had was either on the phone with someone who freaked out over uh, a server malfunctioning or just trying to integrate an actor's actual personal life and experience to a character on stage. I think the combination of all that Led me towards marketing. I was in a couple of different roles where I was sort of handed marketing and I realized how quickly I loved it and it was all the different pieces of working with human beings that I really loved, um, which is you know at the, I the guess at the core of it, telling stories. And so that's what led me here today. <laughs> and also I, I should add that uh, you're a listener to marketing trends, is that right? Oh, I sure am. Um, I am absolutely an avid listener of uh, Marketing Trends. In fact, um, one of my favorite episodes was actually with uh, two folks that I work with now because of Marketing Trends. Uh, the Sean and Craig, the co-founders of Qualified, you guys had an incredible right. conversation about yeah about conversational marketing. Um, and I really, really gravitated towards it, uh, so much that I think I must have shared that episode to almost every person I have, I've ever met on social media. Uh, and then of course I started talking with Craig and Sean and his, their amazing team and, uh, we use qualify now.
2: (laughs) It's what a world, uh, it's, that's really cool. And it's, uh, it's definitely a marketing trends, uh, little, little community story. So if anyone ever has stories like that, reach out and, and let us know, um, that's super fun. Shout out to the qualified guys. They're great. Um, so Frank, uh, tell me a little bit about, for our listeners here, uh, tell me about StaffBase. What's the what's the scope and size of the company and, and how
3: do you go to market? StaffBase is a employee communications platform. Uh, you may think of uh, these platforms as email or intranet or nowadays, maybe Slack. Uh, what we found is Uh, in many ways that current platforms are not really built for especially a frontline audience or employees that are working on the go a lot, working a lot on their mobiles, mobile phones as well. So, we've built staff base, um, especially for these people. And we want to bring them everything they need around their work. It's not just comms. It's also learning. It's also uh, finding a phone list with all the contacts in the company, finding... Uh, things like their pay stubs and other things, so so everything around their job uh, in one in one device, and that's uh, what we are doing for a bit over five years now, um, and we've seen some really good growth uh, in in the space because uh, these people have have really been forgotten. Uh, we, we sometimes talk about the forgotten employee. These people really have been forgotten in the past uh, by a lot of other technologies and also by their uh, by, by their company. So um, that's something we, we want to change and are on a mission to change. Because you talked about go-to-market, um, that's, that's uh, from a marketing perspective, uh, specific about uh, StuffBase. Uh, is I had a blog uh, by myself before I started StuffBase for a couple of years and I was pretty much around digital workplace technologies and things like that. And I had a lot of experience around content marketing and I've seen this pain of like big time before. So, so I, I kind of knew if you invest in that for a longer term, it, it really helps you uh, to get reach, to get an audience and uh, to, to get traction in the market. And That's why uh, the interesting thing about our early marketing was pretty much we've just done blogging, writing and creating good content. And pretty much nothing else, right? And the 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 interesting thing is, it really helped us to grow initially at pretty uh, efficient budget, and also a lot of inbound traffic. So for a lot of other companies out there, while they are trying to bring in inbound marketing uh, in the mix, uh, they often started off with with a lot of outbound efforts. Uh, we pretty much. Only have done inbound marketing until we were at like 10 million ARR um, as a company, which is uh, I think pretty special out there in the software as a service space. Wow! Yeah. So, and
2: I and I want to really dive into that because that's that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and and I do want to say about staff base one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on now, with you know coronavirus and and the world dealing with this. Is you know, employee conversations are more important than ever. And the way in which you talked about a um, kind of a forgotten population, I think that that's so true. And it's something that a lot of marketers, I think, leverage, specifically in technology, where you have some of these positions in in the corporation that are, that feel marginalized, whether that's, you know, the CIO or the CMO at times, or, you know, trickling into different organizations um, that just feel like they don't have uh, you know, a voice potentially, whether, you know, recruiting or HR or, or whichever. And I think it speaks to the, the larger human condition that a lot of times we have to do more with less. And if we're trying to communicate with our employees, which is the most important resource of every company, um, and there's not a good way to do that, then uh, you know, it's it's just tough. And it speaks to the times that of course, something like staff base that comes along and people can have better conversations with their employee and have, you know, one place to go for that employee experience is
3: is really exciting. That's that's so true. And it's it's also true like compared to 20 years ago, employees have so many more ways now. To also share their experiences at their companies, like like think about Glassdoor, think about all other social media uh, platforms out there. So whatever they see inside your company will will at one point also end up externally, right? So there is no way anymore to fake company culture, to fake a, a good image of a company from from the outside. It's things are going to get through at one point. So the only way to really build up a credible let's say employer branding is is by really treating the employees the way you really want to um, they they will get their messages out wherever they wherever they are okay so let's
2: let's dive into who are the types of folks that are that you're selling to because it seems to me like this could be multiple different people within an organization, multiple different personas. The CEO obviously, you know, wants his employees to have a phenomenal work experience. You know, HR is
3: a stakeholder. Like who who is who's buying Staffbase? The key audience that's buying Staffbase is actually communicators. So, really, the people that are in charge of of the communication function. Um, it's interesting to look at. Company sizes there because the larger the company gets, the more dedicated this role will be. It's like for the, the real big uh, multinational enterprises, they have big internal comms teams. Uh, if if you look at smaller companies, there will be maybe a head of corporate comms, which is do who's doing internal and external at the same time. Um, we also see a very interesting difference between uh, uh, countries globally. So in the U.S. Comms role is often part of an HR department. In many cases, sometimes also part of marketing. In uh, Europe, especially, it's in most cases part of comms, a communications department. Um, and uh, and in a lot of other companies, there's uh, there's really a mix between the both. Right. So that that's one thing. The other thing is uh, comms usually is is the ones, as we say, with the burning platform for this problem, because they get pressure from their management to establish a working channels to employees, right? So they uh, they get a lot of stuff where people say, please get this out and please prove with measurement that you really, that people are really reading it. So they are in this middle position um, and they get a lot of feedback from employees who are saying, I get too much or I don't get enough and you're spamming. Um, and, and what you're sending out is not relevant. So they are they are kind of having the burning platform to say I want a comms platform that helps me to target. Uh, I don't want to spam people anymore. I want to target people. I want to give them a way to feedback and to interact. And that's that's why they are they are the, the major buyer. There are other parties involved like HR. Um, at some cases, uh, IT at some cases, and sometimes also operations, or like local leadership. Like if you think about a large international company, you might have a local plant manager who says, "I want this for my plant. I don't even talk to to uh, uh, my corporate headquarters. I, I just decide this for myself." This this also happens. But I would say 90% is comms, and that's interesting because many people tell us go to HR, it, it should be also as relevant for them. But usually HR in all markets that we see is interested, but is is not the first mover for this sort of technology.
2: Well, and so, and that's really fascinating. And it also speaks to just what it's like to sell and market a product and technology, you know, in the year 2020, right? Like how many stakeholders you just mentioned, but ultimately the person who is, you know, leading the charge, that comms person who they roll up to, whose budget that's going to fall under, how does that look is going to be really different. So I'm curious, how did you go about building content for for that persona? That's uh, yeah,
3: it's 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 probably like a two-hour <laughs> monologue about the the one thing uh, we had this actually. It, it's interesting because we had a review this week about our content, and we want to be even more data-driven about content. And as part of this, I shared how we did content in the first place and what's really cool in the first place, because I did all our sales calls and I've written all our blog posts. um, That's really cool because in the sales calls, you hear every day the question that people ask, right? And you get a a, a first line idea of what, what do they need to know? What are the arguments that they want to hear? What are the questions that they ask? And based on this, uh, like our first one hundred blog posts were only things that we hear from sales calls and 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 from from our conversations just to have this in written pretty much right? And as a second step, what we've done then is pretty much look to google analytics and and look, okay, which of these posts get traction uh, like in terms of readership and also what's the potential of the search term itself where we say, okay, we are ranking on number nine, but the volume is great. Let's try to rank higher. Let's improve this piece or let's write another piece for it and let's create like a like a cluster of, of content around a, a certain topic. So that helped us a lot in the beginning to get a lot of traction. And also, um, I personally believe A lot of the relevance that's that's created in Google right now is really on user signals. So, how long are people staying on these pieces? We have, on average, people staying very long on our blog posts, and that's why, like, if you if you take a term like internal comms, right? We we as a pretty new company, we managed within a couple of like three years, we were number one um, globally. If you if you search for internal communications, we were on number one with a piece like seven ways why it's important or things like that. We had one or two blog posts in there. Um, The reason wasn't our domain. Our domain wasn't very strong at that time, but we had people really uh, were staying long there because we really tried to talk to them about their problems and not too much about why base is cool or why they should buy our stuff.
2: So, Jason, from an implementation standpoint of some of this really cool stuff and then capturing that value on the site. And we talked a little bit about, you know, how, uh, how you all use qualified, but I'd imagine that when you're having certain pieces, these, you know, for example, and our listeners can go check out staffbase.com and and see some of the content. Um, you all have like a really good, um, the definitive guide to an employee app, um, and, and some other just really cool content on there. As you're seeing people come to the site, like what, how are you, Allowing those folks to have a kind of friction free buying experience?
4: I think one way to look at it, the, the, in order to present information in a, that's friction free, it kind of goes a little bit beyond like a really beautiful website and like interesting content, but it also just needs to be a pleasant experience. Um, but it has to be a pleasant experience for the right audience, right? So I think right now is a really good example. Um, the, the world as we know it has completely changed um, in a way that is sort of providing a clarity uh, in terms of content, right? People are really scared. Um, Their focus is on taking care of their people. So that could be their families, who they work with, uh, their friends, and people that they have yet to meet, right? So that is true if you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And it's also true if you're a communications manager for a factory with 5,000 people that just got laid off temporarily. So to what Frank said about you know our approach and where we're kind of building that content, we're, we, we need to understand what are those alerts that they're focusing on first and really approaching the need that they have, like the answers that are actionable and tangible. Um, and I think that that just creates a better cadence in terms of you know, how it can map to our other content, like the content piece you just mentioned, but providing information right now that gives, that helps provide answers. So, like using all the different tactics that Frank talked about in terms of like keyword searching and trying to uncover like what are the long tail keywords that we need to be using and what are people saying and recognizing that, you know, what is it in 2007, the 25% of search queries were the first time they've ever heard of them, um, which, you know, you really have to understand what is happening right now. What are people looking for? And we see that real need in terms of when we're talking to people and what they're, what they're actually saying, and they have this desire for this actionable content. And so we try to position it in a way and present it in a way that's as easy as possible through, yes, conversational marketing is one tactic. But just trying to put it in front of you as quickly as possible. Um, I, I think that answered your question.
2: Yeah, no that that is fascinating. I mean, I would imagine though as well because you're a multinational company that you have some significant challenges to try to create relevant content based off of geography. Like you know, Frank at the top you had mentioned just how the different markets are and um, and how internally people are organized, which is critical to an app that is you know improving the internal employee experience. How do you, how do you look at um, multinational?
3: That's that's a great question, and it's uh, uh, personally one of the uh, like biggest learnings of the last couple of years. I I've, I started off the company here in Germany, and after two years, I, I also went uh, over moved uh, to New York with my family uh, to to start our US office there, and, and did a lot of also sales calls and and a lot of conversations in the US market as well, and it's. Uh, if you do this, in the beginning, you, you a lot of people tell you, don't take your original approach and strategy and just put it into a new market. Really, uh, really, uh, yeah, reapproach approach a market and see how, what you need to change, right? And and at the beginning, you kind of say, yeah, okay, I know um, we may adapt uh, a bit to the language. That's pretty much it. Um, and I... I surely underestimated this, right? And we see, by the way, the same thing also happening with a lot of US software as a service businesses, which are uh, pretty much uh, pretty successful in the US and are trying to come to Europe and they are coming with their messaging over there. That's, that's uh, uh, really sometimes not working. To give you one example or a couple of examples, in the easiest thing is talking about the benefits of, of the platform in, in, in Germany, Uh, The most important thing that people need in an employee comms application or in an app, um, especially if they're on the front line, is is typically the lunch or cafeteria menu in there, right? Because usually it's provided by companies. And for a lot of people, it's, it's a basic reason to look into this once a day. And if they do that once a day, you you've has, you basically have established a channel. And if you have an emergency or other important things, you can share this along, along this, right? Um, so a lot of our early messaging was also bringing this as an example, um, until I learned that's not a really good example in the US because a lot of people uh, either don't eat lunch. Uh, in most companies, they don't have a, like a company, Cafeteria or things like that. Uh, there are some food trucks outside, and, and so it, it's it's not it's not a content that they care about, right? Um, in the US, you would have other content like uh, you have the annual enrollment for healthcare. Uh, nobody nobody in Europe needs things like this. You you are insured not by your employer, but but, uh, but with, with by other means, right? Um, so really understand what's important for people is one thing, and the other thing is also understanding sort of your buyer and even uh, like if the names are the same, like if people's roles are like called internal comms in Europe and in the U.S. In Europe, it's usually a much more established function because of you have a lot stronger labor laws. Um, so companies had to think about the whole employee engagement, employee comms, Space for a lot longer and also invest a lot more money you have a lot more like build out structures there and in the us a lot of people came into the role just recently so even surprisingly large companies have an internal comms person for for half a year now or one year and the approach and and their their the need to to really uh, show internally why they are there why they need resources um, is, is a lot higher than in Europe. In Europe, internal comms or uh, communication channels are, are already seen as cost of doing business, right? Nobody wants to see an RI for this. It's more like, how can we do this better? In the US, it's, why should we do this at all? And this means it's entirely different content and entirely different approach
4: to an argumentation. Yeah, that's something that we, uh, Frank and I, talk about a lot, which is uh, especially so all the stuff you just talked about, like all the, like you have all these. Folks that very likely have did not, you know, they weren't sitting at home necessarily dreaming about running communications for this large organization that, they, that they're now here for. They've been kind of handed it. Um, and this happens a lot in the United States. And so, yeah, t- to Frank's point, they're not, they're trying to just figure out how they, can, how they can do their job. They're trying to figure out how can they, you know, what does their future professional development look like? but they're also trying to figure out how can I do this in a simple, and easy way. And it's really easy to be like, Oh, we do everything, but <laughs> that doesn't resonate. Um, they, the, 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 what resonates is trying to find that, that, that piece, whether, whether it's yes, access to your benefits or sharing a message in a, in, to a large, to, you know, 5,000 people in a very specific segmented way in multiple languages that resonates stronger. Um, but it's also easy to accomplish. And that's kind of something that Frank and I are always trying to work on. Like, How do we make the simplest and easiest message possible from that person that's actually the administrator and what their experience is with our solution and not necessarily the story of the recipient of the information, but the person that's actually in charge of creating it and pushing it out. Well, I think you touched
2: on something really important there and that that the path to everybody's heart is through their stomach. Um, so you know, giving updates on, on on when lunch is and uh and what it's gonna be on the plate, I feel like that's um even to extend that analogy or that 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 piece of information, giving your employees, you know, maybe the uh the local spots that are that are good to eat at is uh man that's that's some killer content. I wish I wish more I wish more companies were telling me where to eat uh other than other than my own. That's such an interesting interesting uh little tidbit there because um you know we we talk a lot about on this show how when you're selling a product that impacts a whole company like this kind of software, it's a much different you know, buyer risk than it is to buy something that's like, you know, something small for your team, just because it impacts the entire company. Like, you know, is is your CEO going to engage with this? Yes or no? Like, oh, they, they do. Then it's, it's, it's a, it's a higher profile buying decision. And it speaks to the type of trust that you have to have with the, um, with the software vendor, with the partner that you're choosing, how do you think about, you know, building trust with people to say like, Hey, your most important messages, your employee engagement, your conversations with your employees, like we can do this really well in a seamless, mobile, easy experience. This is such
3: a good observation. It's such an important point. Um, And that's, uh, in, in many cases, when we have new employees at staff base who, who didn't work for um, for like employee comms in the space before, I usually tell them Wh- whatever you sold before or whatever you've done before. What's really different here? This thing is really something the whole company will look at, and this is something where pretty much the career of our champion is pretty much attached to, right? And this this also means we see a lot of uh, them getting promoted because if if that's successful, they they there's so much visibility in the company. But on the yes. downside, on the downside is it means they are under pressure. Oh yes, they are, and they look at this. That's why it needs to look great because they don't look at this if they like it. They look at this like saying, "Will my ten thousand people like it?" Right, um, and this. About the building trust point, one is providing great content, great examples about how you do this. Go in more detail that you even would have to, provide a test run. and I think the most important thing is we initially decided, and we still do to invest a lot of uh, of our budget into customer success. So making existing customers really happy and what we see and I would say ninety percent of the cases, that our customers, before they finally decide for staff base, they will do reference calls with other customers. And that's also one of our, let's say it's the second wave of our marketing where we've seen the best thing we can do is actually events, uh, bring our customers in a room together with pr- prospects or people who think about it and just let customers talk. And then the best thing is shut up, listen, uh, and, and, then everything works out because they need to hear it from their peers. They I can tell this a hundred times. Uh this this might be good, but it's if they hear it from their peers, that's that's amazing.
2: Yeah, so wait, explain that more, because that's really interesting. So how do you how do you go about doing that? How do you put those people together?
3: We've come up with a couple of formats. Uh, actually that's uh, by the way, also one thing we struggle in the US because distances are so high. So, that's uh, still a lot harder than in Europe. Uh, What we've done, we've we've done two formats. One is a user group tour. So we go from city to city. For each city, we invite about three to four existing customers to do a short presentation about like 30 minutes about what they do. And uh, we invite partners and prospects and other customers uh, to these events. round We have around like fifty to one hundred people in a room, and uh, we usually kick this off with a short like uh, about staff base and, and some some news about company, but really short and then we just let customers talk that's one format and the other one is uh, we uh, we we have a big summit that we that we' also giving its own branding we call this voices and voices is pretty much like a like an annual meeting um, with uh, with a couple of hundred people. We, we just had to cancel, obviously, <laughs> voices for this year because of Corona. It was uh, uh, supposed to happen in three weeks in Berlin. Uh, we were on the track to 800 participants. Um, and we've seen a lot of deals um, really set up at these kind of events. We also did an internal calculation and we've seen uh, the probability of deals uh, to close um, goes a lot higher um, if somebody was attended one of the events. So that's, uh, it's, it's by the way, a, a long standing um, internal discussion, what's the best way to measure events. And uh, until we really came up with these numbers, we had a lot of back and forth also with our sales guys, customer success, like it's a lot of effort to, to do an event um, what's really the outcome there? But I, I'm a big believer in own events. Not so much, not so much other events, sponsored events. We we are very selective there, but we are big believers in own events. And by the way, also, sorry, they, like yeah. d- d- just this one thing, from a marketing perspective, what's fantastic if you invite your customers to speak there, you get the best case studies ever, right? They come there with. With slides, you could have dreamed of, and you would have a week-long process to get this out of them. But if they are on stage, if they present, they tell the best stories ever. You just need to be there. You just need to record it. It's a great way to collect these these stories.
2: Yeah, and and that's going to change in a huge way because of you know uh, you know Corona for the for the short term. But I, but I want to dig into the kind of the impact that you were that you were talking about, and this is like so much of budgets is spent on events and how you do it the right way. And there's no, you know, cookie hitter way to do it. But one of the things that you said, I totally believe, is that the way that you put your customers and prospects in a room together to actually discuss life in general, how they do business, um, you know, how they potentially use your product is the most important part of events like that Experience of being able to share best practices and talk about things, it's not pushing content at people. And I think that if you look at most events, they're way too content heavy. But content serves as the catalyst for discussion, right? Because people are awkward. And so like just going and talking to a random person you've never met, you can go up to them and say like, hey, what session did you see today? Like, oh, I saw this, you know, I saw whatever. And this was interesting. And I think that that's like people forget about kind of the utility of events is being in person with other people like it's fun, you know, maybe you get away for a few days, you get to like go and, you know, see the sights and the sounds, you know, like now that we're all kind of stuck inside, it's even seems seems more fun uh, like the events that are going to happen later on in the year that that everybody's going to do. But I think that that's that's it's a critical piece that so many of these conferences um are have so much push content and not enough, you know, intentional interactions beyond just like the happy hour piece. Um, and, and I'm curious, like, how do you facilitate those discussions?
3: I would totally agree. Uh, one thing that we uh, adopted for our event strategy, and that's, uh, yeah, it's is not so much uh, coming from, from my side, but really also from our events team. Um, Dave uh, said early on, let's really make sure that it's not just another event and that we really bring our brand to life during these events, let's put in a bit more effort into the venue. Let's put in more effort into preparations. And to give you one example, um, if we go to a venue uh, for for voices, uh, they went into the the bathrooms and put staff base and voices stickers on the soap <laughs> there, and and like have small presents in there as well. So like. The, they, they really want to, and, and I think that's what people also really like. Uh, they really want to surprise people and say, Hey, that's really, it feels like I'm coming to a family. And it's really feels like a, like a social event, um, in many ways. That's one thing. And the other thing is, uh, we've seen that for comms, especially events are usually very professional. Um there's not too much evening activity going on. Like maybe there's an happy there's there's like some drinks for one hour and then everything stops. So what we were trying for like with voices also to have a real party uh, in the evening and, and really a also a band and, and and dancing, things like this. So and, and we've seen people really enjoyed that. And that's that's was kind of a bit also out of outside of our comfort zone but uh that's, that's something we want to establish right that's uh it's it's not just another event it's also uh, let's have fun let's be authentic and let's let's spend have some good time together yeah and and this
2: is like you know we can talk about this in a little bit about kind of um the current state of affairs but i think that that, that it is part of it of you just want to make something memorable, and we talk about on the show all the time that marketing is meant to be remarkable. Well, you know, it's really easy to remember, you know, an event that you had where a specific band played at, or, you know, a type of thing that was completely different from any other event. Oh, like, oh, remember when, you know, they had uh like you know, an indoor skydiving, you know, thing at that one event or whatever, you know, whatever it is that can make your event memorable and stand out, uh, you know, amongst the, the kind of sea of noise. You know, and I'm curious... Jason, as, as the, you know, the person kind of tying this stuff together and creating these campaigns, um,
4: what do you see from that type of event strategy? Um, I, I I totally agree that like, it's the, it's the tiny little moments throughout the event that make it magical, right. And memorable. Um, right now my head is focused on, you know, the virtual experience, you know, because so many, I mean, I've 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 been inundated with uh, you know hey this is our position because of corona hey this event is now virtual hey we're doing this virtual hey we're going to do another webinar and i'm immediately thinking all right we have got how do you get above this wave or this influx of the same of sameness everyone's uh, most people that are going to be attending these events are probably sitting on their couch their bed or their home office if they're lucky enough to have one um, right now and they're just getting inundated with that type of event so like okay now the challenge for all marketers is to stand out and do something different what is the 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 soap with the logo. What is the? I think I was at a Yext conference once, and they they actually embroidered their logo on the the <laughs> on the on the uh, coffee they made. So on the foam, that was remarkable. Uh, things like that, like those little touches. But with a virtual experience, it's a totally new ball game in terms of how do you reach someone in a really meaningful way uh, when they're s- thousands or hundreds of miles away from you. Uh, that is definitely on my mind right now. And I think the, the only thing I, I've been able to come up with in the very short term is presenting information that is actionable and really valuable. You could watch the sessions, give us an hour... And you can start doing something immediately because that's what you need more than anything right now because you're in a panic.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. Um, something that is you know hyper actionable is, is a great great way of looking at it. I mean, I think you know a lot of the problems with these virtual events and what everybody's going to realize is like, hey, if a virtual event, a virtual conference. Doesn't feel too similar from like twenty five webinars, like that's kind of what it found, sounds like, feels like, right? So if that's what it feels like, and people don't really have time to do twenty five webinars, then you know, or or the extension of that, which is like you know, a podcast like this one, which is kind of just like always on and always kind of insights from from people uh, in the market. Then what is a digital event? Like, is it more about just doing breakout rooms with the hosts? Is it more just about like, hey, let's just do Q and A? Um, let's you know, let's point to content that people can listen to on demand, uh, and then just have discussions. I, I'm, I mean, I think that you know, it's really difficult to deal with, but it's something that could bring our it could. Heighten our digital experiences in a way that we have never had to. Um, you
4: know, and necessity is the mother of invention. I think there's also a lot to so, just to kind of go to that, right? We just held a webinar with one of our partners. Um, and within the first 12 hours, there was almost a thousand people that registered. I think it was 918 people registered for the webinar in four hours. I'm sorry, in 12 hours because. The message was communicating in crisis for proven strategies to communicate during quarantine. And then, by the time that the session actually happened, which was only three days after that email went out, um, we had two thousand registrants. Right. So, I think I mean the need is there, but it's it's it, this is it, everything is now essentially your headline, right? Because the swamp of the you know just the absolute slosh of messaging of like virtual, virtual, virtual is out there. So it's like, okay, marketers, your copywriting skills have better amp up as, 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 as as high as possible, because you are now inundated with other people trying to push your message to the top, away from the top. (laughs) Yeah, no. And, and it's, and also I would add to that too, that
2: it's like, it's not just about, you know, the content, it's about giving actual things people can use giving the guides like that was one of the things you know you were talking about making things actionable it's like people don't when when time is key they don't want to wade through 20 articles they want just like give me the way that other people are doing this right now so i can implement it in my company tomorrow because i need an answer um you know it's not as i you know i would be curious how much like pure thought leadership versus like the checklist type stuff, you know, what what the blend is. Because I'd imagine people are looking for inspiration. So maybe they have things like podcasts on um, from a thought leadership perspective. But when it gets into the like, I need nitty gritty stuff. Like I want to work on, you know, I need to build a, a checklist for our CEO of like what they need to be, you know, messaging every day um, or, or whatever the whatever the thing is. How are we gonna communicate? And just tell me exactly what other people are doing. That it's
4: it's interesting to me. We're seeing something really really interesting right now. So to your point, there's like a very clear hybrid of of, of thought leadership and actionable content. Because this right now, this crisis, this is an opportunity for our audience, at least communicators or information sharers, however you want to position it, right? If you have if your job, your task is to push information out, whether it's a corporate message, HR benefits, safety protocols, whatever it may be, now is your time because there is nothing more important right now than to have that information. Uh, Frank, you shared an article that Edelman just published that was saying that the number one source of information during this crisis, the tr- most trusted source is coming from companies. So if those communicators, those information sharers are looking for that seat at the table to talk to their C-levels, this is that time. But then to your point, Ian, taking that step back, okay, yes, now is your time. Here's the four things you need to do in order to make it a home run.
2: Yeah. Well, and also, you know, for the marketers listening, it's like if you're a comms person, if you are in one of those companies where your comms person is kind of out on an island who's managing internal comms and like maybe wasn't Uh, doesn't have the most formal training, like, lend some headcount, lend some help, you know, like, you know, tie in with that person and say, like, hey, how can we divert some resources so that we're making sure that our, you know, internal communication, um, you know, helping with copywriting and things like that, because it is super critical. Um, You know, and, and Frank, I'm curious, like, how, what has been some of the advice that you know, you've thought about to to give to marketers and to business leaders, you know, to navigate through times of crisis.
3: Maybe before one point about what you just said, because I think that's that's really it's really a great point about like collaboration between marketing and comms. Uh, we we often see at our customers the the best comms people are. Uh, have worked for marketing or sometimes have been also responsible for the social media account of the company and so on. So they, uh, the more they, they've been involved with marketing, the more proficient they are with good copywriting and also with a more authentic and relaxed kind of, kind of writing and content creation. So uh, th- I think that's very interesting to, to join forces there more in the future. Um, especially have these marketing skills also for comms, right? So that's that, that would be one point. The, the other point about the current situation, there's a there's a very interesting article right now. I don't know if you guys have have seen it before. I'm, I'm like keep telling everyone about it. Um, it's called uh, the hammer and the dance. It's it's uh, it's uh, has been published on Medium a couple of days ago, and it's an analysis of this crisis and how it's going to play out over the next couple of months. And it's pretty much a thorough uh, review uh, that that comes to the conclusion there will be some sort of a lockdown that we all experience right now uh, with pretty much everything closed. And then pretty soon, the lockdown will be between three and seven weeks. And then things need to open up. We need to open some businesses. We need to open some factories things need to go back because otherwise this this ends in an economic disaster right and this the lockdown phase uh, is called the hammer and this open up phase is called the dance because you will have to carefully handle what can you do you need to test a lot of people you need to to react very fast uh, if if somebody is uh, tested and uh, uh, has 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 the virus and and how you how you deal with that. Um, there's pretty much one country right now in the world from from what they see that really does already does this and sees success, which is South Korea. And uh, what so if if you haven't seen this article, I I I would really uh, have a look at this. If you're a marketer, if you're a comms, uh, the the funny thing is uh, just read this morning that the central strategic paper of the German government right now, how to handle this crisis in the next couple of months also cited this article as well so it's it's um, so just uh, whoever wants to 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 dive deeper in there now coming back to comms um, what pretty much means there are two things you need to do right now comms is responsible to organize the lockdown and to organize uh, people can work from home, do we have all messages, uh, battle fake news? Um, you need to position leadership. So leaders need to walk the floor, either in real or or virtually, like people need a lot of leadership right now in that situation. Um, so that's the current phase. But there will very soon be a phase when things open up again, right? And this means... You need to gradually open up operations again. You need to tell people when they should come back to work, to what degree. You will have policies that change pretty much at some points every day, at every location in a different way. So that's something you need to communicate in real time. You need to detect and test people on an ongoing basis to make sure you can contain Uh, outbreaks again and you need to keep battling fake news like our customers and and put and the customer just just bought staff base last week they said our top priority is battle fake news because uh like our workers ask us do i get the virus if i touch a machine here how often do you clean up the machines um if i'm in the second shift do i get the virus from somebody in the first shift so what do you what do you do to make uh, sure this doesn't happen right so There's there's a lot a lot of communication that needs to happen, and it needs to happen over a long period of time. And what we are trying now, and that's I think that's that's the part for leadership. What we are trying to to tell our our customers and communicators, guys, there's this lockdown phase. You are needed right now, but even more in a long getting back to normal phase that's going to come. And and if it if things go okay, it's the whole year where we will have this phase, right? And that's, that's pretty much what's in front of them. Um, of course, we are saying you're going to need a good real-time comms channel for that. But they, they, they also uh, have the great opportunity to really step up, to really be like have the seat on the table that they always wanted to have.
2: Okay, last question before we get into the lighting round. Normally we have to have conversations with marketing leaders that are like, how are you convincing your leadership that we need to invest in customer success? Um, but Frank, you already talked about how you have made huge investments in customer success. I I think this is fascinating. I think it's like going to be the new normal that marketing is investing in, you know, post sale parts of the customer journey, customer success. Um, uh, like why why did you make that decision and what what are the benefits that you've seen so far?
3: I think the decision. If you look at the dynamics or ev- everyone who's who's uh, founding a company in a software as a service business, um, the first thing you'll learn is that uh, the the whole thing is only healthy if you have a high customer retention rate and a low churn rate, and if customers also uh, like do you can do upsellings and things like that. If you can make that sure, like your business is will grow. Uh, So, there's not a lot of things that can happen. So, that's pretty much what we have seen early on and that we decided early on to say, let's have a very healthy basis. Let's have happy customers. And as I said before, we've seen everyone is talking to uh, each other, especially for large companies. People phone up each other all the time. So if we if we really want to be successful in the long term, uh, successful customers is is the only thing to get there.
2: Well, and then how are you how are you doing that? Because I think that this is part of the when you said you reallocated budget to do that. Um, like, are you putting money into sharing customer success stories? Are you you know it seems like obviously you're putting money into you know getting your customers in a physical room together to be able to talk. Like, how do you allocate those resources to put into customer success?
3: I think the most part of the investment goes into people in our team who help customers get started, have a lot of calls in the beginning, help them to set up content, build up structure, uh, clarify their strategy, clarify what are the use cases that they put into the app and the app platform that, that employees are really see this as a valuable tool for them. So most of the effort goes there. We do quarterly business reviews. With customers to make sure uh, they are on track and they are happy and they, they go uh, where, where they wanted to go and they reach their goals. And I think what's also very important, and we talked about this before, uh, people being so much under pressure, uh, we have a very good customer care part. So people can call us. Um, so if they have a problem and 5,000 people can't do anything because of a certain problem, they want to reach somebody. They want to talk to somebody. That's a very easy and fast way to frustrate everyone. So what we do, we invest a lot in, in a lot in the fast reaction times around this because we know their their careers at stake and their reputations at stake, and uh, so. Actually, it's it's a pretty easy decision to to invest in, in in this sort of resources.
2: I love the idea of investing resources heavily into like the crisis planning and like the emergency side of things. Is like we don't you know we don't need to invest like a ton. Of, you don't need to be super responsive on like you know hey, what's the best uh, you know tips for lunchtime snacks? But uh, you get fired if you you know if that person will get fired if you know they can't communicate when they need to for 24 hours, you know, or whatever it is. So I I think that's, that's fascinating. And it, you know, it sounds like it's product, but uh, maybe it is partly, but you know, marketing's role in, in that is becoming more and more clear and more and more relevant. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get into our lighting round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. We love Salesforce. Go check them out. Sponsor since the very first second of Marketing Trends podcast. Lightning round questions, Frank and Jason, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Jason, we'll start with you. What app on your phone is the most fun? Giphy. Frank? Google Maps. What is your favorite podcast or TV show or book that you're listening to? reading,
4: or watching?
3: For me, it was the, the marketing book uh, actually Crossing the Chasm.
4: Oh, it's so good. Uh, for me, a combination of marketing trends. It truly is my favorite broadcast. Hey now. And then the next in line is Dave Gerhardt's A-List, which is incredible. Frank, do you have a hidden talent or passion?
3: I would love to be a... Actually, either a full-time content writer or a full-time salesperson. That's it's really fun to talk to customers.
2: Jason? I mean, you have tons of background. I, yeah, I know you got something good hidden
4: away. I, I have a, a play I wrote years ago that I just someday I want to get it on stage. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's awesome. What's it about? Um, it's called Scrim Child. <laughs> and it's about a child who's going through a mental illness. And in the background of the entire play is a scrim and you see her subconscious and shadows act out all of her thoughts throughout the play. Wow, fascinating. Frank, what is uh, your best advice
3: for a first time co-founder? The best advice is uh, don't focus a lot of other startups and the whole awards um, and all this other stuff that's, that's built around the ecosystem, really focus on your customers.
4: Jason, what about you? First time director of marketing. Hire people that are awesome at doing things you know that you can't do. I love it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Um, we uh, we will have to uh, to check in soon. I know you know this is at what you're doing is at the cutting edge right now. Um, and uh, and stay safe. And thanks for thanks for joining.
3: Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay safe. Yes.
4: Be healthy.
1: marketing trends podcast is brought to you by salesforce discover marketing built on the world's number one crm salesforce put your customer at the center of every interaction automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey salesforce we bring marketing and engagement together learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing